Okay, all right. Mm. <clears throat> That's true. And it's Wonderland night, so everybody's sleeping in. <laughs> Why don't we pray real quick? <clears throat> Father, we just please uh, bless this time and uh, cause us, Father, please to think on our hearts and uh, on our <clears throat> our relationship with you, our debt to you, and uh, please cause this time to be profitable. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If everybody would, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Everybody knows this chapter. It's the one that's found on everybody's refrigerator door or usually on nice posters and stuff. But when I look at this passage, I have to stop and think uh, and, and just think about how well am I doing with this? <clears throat> if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, And if I deliver my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these... Is love. <clears throat> we have a lot of material this morning. I'm going to be moving, I think, pretty fast, <clears throat> hoping to get it all covered. But uh, if I get done early, well, that's probably a good thing. So, you know, no one's going to complain. <clears throat> Our book is about to take a very practical turn. <clears throat> and up to now, we've been talking about concepts. And uh, just kind of the heart is the target and things like that. And how do we, how do we need to minister to each other? But this, this, starting with this chapter, 
we're going to go to uh, some very practical things. The name of this chapter is Building Relationships by Entering Their World. And a subtitle to that might be, What Does Redemptive Relationship Look Like? And uh, you can, the thing I thought about as I was getting ready for this is, is uh, in 1 Corinthians 13. <clears throat> you can apply scripture and get that correct, and you can read Frame. You can read Calvin. You can read Aquinas. You can have a couple of letters after your name. But if you're dismissive and you're aloof and you really don't love the people around you, then, then what good is it? If you teach a Sunday school lesson and you don't love the people that you're teaching that Sunday school lesson to, then what good is it? You're just a clanging symbol. And I think we tend to look at 1 Corinthians 13 as, oh, that's such a nice passage. But it's really a tough passage because you see lots of times that people are harsh with their spouses or mean to their children or overbearing and, and just don't show love. But yet at the same time, They're taking them to church every Sunday and making sure they get into all the right schools, all the right classes. And uh, they become really just noisy gongs, clanging cymbals. So it's a a very stern warning, 1 Corinthians 13. I think, I'm not sure. Yes, we're about to move into the practical part of this book is to love, know, speak, and do. And Dennis alluded to this last week. The first, uh, first, next three chapters, this one and two more, will be building strong relationships because of love. And then we'll have a chapter on knowing the heart. And then we'll have two chapters on, on how to speak to people in love, helping your friend to see their life clearly. And uh, then do, helping your friend to apply insights to daily life, the last two chapters. And a lot of what these chapters do is going to be like, he will talk more like formal counseling situations. Most of us will never be in formal counseling situations, but we do get to talk to each other every day, and we do get to help each other <coughs> with, with our uh, problems. Uh, there's always an opportunity for this. I want to read a paragraph. If you've got the book, it's on page 117, right under foundational love. Tripp says, I am deeply persuaded that the foundation for people transforming ministry is not sound theology, it is love. Without love, our theology is a boat without oars. Love is what drove God to send and sacrifice his son. Love led Christ to subject himself to a sinful world in the horrors of the cross. Love is what causes him to seek and save the lost and to persevere until each of his children is transformed into his image. His love will not rest until all of his children are at his side in glory. The hope of every sinner does not rest in theological answers, but in the love of Christ for his own. Without it, we have no hope personally, relationally, or internally. If you turn to Romans 8, chapter 8, next Romans. Let's go down about verse 31. 
We talked some last week about the incarnation of Christ's love. Um, Right here, 831. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, For thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So as we, you know, the question arises, what does it look like to incarnate love? The incarnation of Christ's love. It is our only hope of being effective for Christ with others. It is a demanding love. It is a love that causes you to die daily to your selfish agenda. It is a self-sacrificing relationship, love. It is people who belong to God and their relationships belong to God. And he makes that point. He says, you want to remember that people belong to God and relationships belong to God. And your relationships are not for your personal happiness. Your relationships or for God's sanctifying purposes. The context for change that God works in us is relationships. If I got these slides right here. (laughs) Christ has three aspects to his work. He has justification, adoption, and sanctification. Justification is when we're declared righteous, uh, the right to have a relationship with God. Adoption. We talk all the time about justification. We talk about propitiation. We talk about substitution. Talk about those things. The thing I don't stop to think about often enough is that God not only justified us, but he took us into his family. And if you stop to think about that a little bit, that's no small thing. We're not outsiders looking in. We're not outsiders saying, I wish I could be part of that. We are actually in that family. And then we have sanctification. So the way Tripp puts this is that God is actually making real what he declared when he declared to you righteous. Um, a premise for, for, I think, for this chapter, when I finally figured it out, 
is uh, <clears throat> God's redemptive activity is done with relationships. His redemptive activity, all three of those steps, is done with relationships. God's first step is drawing us into a relationship with him. Our relationships are essential to the work God is completing in us and completing in others. We tend to view our relationships as horizontal. An example of this would be a troubled marriage where the two people are, are see that relationship and they get into a war over whose happiness we're going to take care of today. <clears throat> when those two people begin to see their relationship as vertical, they begin to see God's redemptive purpose in a marriage, and it changes the way they view this relationship. And it changes their posture in this relationship. They're no longer competing with each other. There's no need to win. Wouldn't that be great if all the, all the discussions you had with your spouse were not competitive discussions, but they were discussions of uh, we're in this together, it doesn't matter who wins, and uh, uh, <clears throat> because God is using this relationship to sanctify both of us. In parenting, anybody who, who is a parent realizes what a self-sacrificing relationship looks like a good parent does and your act in parenting is you're trying to help in transforming this child it goes beyond good grades it goes beyond clean bedrooms it goes beyond saying yes ma'am and no ma'am it is you're transforming trying to transform this kid's heart or work with this kid to do your part for God to transform this, this heart from a self-absorbed child into one who worships God alone. <clears throat> so we come to his next point. And, uh, and now those, this is not the point of this chapter to talk about marriage relationships. He's only talking about here are some examples of some relationships that we're in all the time that help us to see how it's not a horizontal thing. It's, it's a vertical thing, and it's how God uses relationships to sanctify us. So he gives the example of a woman who comes to you and says it's complicated. Our tendency in a, a complicated, when somebody says to you it's complicated, I found out one time that's a code word that says, I'm in a relationship that you just soon I weren't in, <laughs> that, that I'm not really letting anybody know about. And, um, and so a woman comes to you and says, I'm in a complicated relationship. Our immediate, our immediate response to that is usually to try to solve the problem. Well, you need to get out of that relationship. You know, you need to start doing this and that and the other. Tripp says this is the opportunity to take a deeper focus, to start getting to know this woman because the Lord is apparently at work in this woman because she has come to you and told you that she has a complicated relationship, that the Lord is beginning to reveal to her the fruit of her bad choices, her, her bad behavior, her heart. And it's a chance for you to join in that struggle with her 
and, and to join in helping her to see her heart. And this is what Tripp is asking for is, is rather than just immediately jumping to solutions, we start seeing a deeper focus to our relationships. What we're looking for is a radical personal transformation. And as we talked about before, this happens in the heart, and uh, we want to um, <clears throat> we want to be aware that things are going on with people. It's going to require us to take time to see exactly what's going on. And he talks about love elements. Can you guys even see those slides? I'm seeing them pretty well, but <laughs> you know. It is, isn't it? Okay. Uh, and I, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to admit again, they're not, they're not animated as we have seen some slides are animated. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. Uh, this week, yeah. The, uh, we're going we're gonna to need to enter the person's world, and that requires sacrifice. It requires that you take out of your time to enter this person's world. He calls these the elements of love. We incarnate the love of Christ. We show Christ to this person. We identify with, with their suffering. We accept these people, but we have an agenda. And I think this is, as I was thinking about this, what's the difference between what Tripp is saying here and a liberal theology that just says we need to love everybody? And the difference is that Tripp still has uh, seven chapters after this one. And, uh, and so it's not just we love people, we're loving them with an agenda. <clears throat> and it, we need to look for entering the person's world. We're going to look for entry gates. We're going to move from a casual relationship to a life-changing relationship. And it means we're going to have to be person-focused. Man, I got that really small, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Um, <clears throat> the problem that people bring to you is not the problem. That is not the entry gate. Okay? The entry gate is not the problem. The entry gate is not the situation or the circumstance. The entry gate is not. Man. <laughs> I can. I, <laughs> The, the entry gate, okay, what that says is, <laughs> in bold type, it says, <laughs> the entry gate is not another person or a problem in a relationship. Those are not the entry gates. Those are the things we tend to say are the entry gates. Those are not the entry gates to get into personal relationships with people. The entry gate <laughs> is um, <clears throat> now you see I'm not a big fan of PowerPoint. <laughs> the entry gate is is to try to develop a door of opportunity, a deeper level of ministry. We may have some slides on this later if, if we're able to read them. What we're looking for is we're looking for a door of opportunity. 
<clears throat> so you have this woman comes to you. She says, my husband left me. And uh, what is our immediate response? And, and Tripp says, this is not the time to hammer this woman with everything the scripture says about marriage and divorce. This is a time to look for that deeper level of ministry. This is a time to look for that common ground and, and understanding. And if you do these things, what happens, you hope, is that the person will say, <laughs> this person's going to say, this person heard me. This person understood me. And I want more of this. I want, to, I want more conversations with this person. You want to listen for emotional words. When you're talking to this person, Tripp gives us some very practical things to look for. If you'll turn over to page 128, if you have the book, one of the things you're going to listen for is you're going to listen for emotional words. And these are things, I think, too, that we tend in our discussions around here to say, oh, that's just a little too touchy-feely for me. And, uh, but this is important. People come to you and they say, I'm angry, I'm afraid, I can't stop crying. You want to listen for interpretive words. This shouldn't happen. I guess I'm getting what I deserve. I wonder if it's even worth getting up in the morning. Remember, we've talked about that some several weeks ago, a few weeks ago, about how people look at life, they interpret life based on what's going on inside their heads. You know, most of what they see are just just random uh, <clears throat> events with no meaning at all until you give them meaning in your mind. And these people, so here we are with a person who's, who's thinking uh, and interpreting the world in a certain way. Listen for self-talk. I am such a failure. This always happens to me. I don't have what it takes to face this. And listen for God talk. I thought I was doing what God wanted. He simply doesn't hear my prayers. How could God let this happen to me? Every one of us has heard these things before. We're just in casual conversations with people and we hear people saying this. Or someone's going through a a problem and we hear them (coughs) say these things. What we don't maybe understand is that that is an opportunity for you to get into this person's life. That's the entry gate. And in all that, you're going to hear a theme. And the theme is somewhere along there. The theme is one of guilt. It's going to be, they're going to be feeling guilt. They're going to be feeling uh, um uh, like it's all their fault, they're going to be feeling, I'm, I'm sorry, I thought I was going to be able to read that slide. And uh, uh, you, you're just looking for where is this person? What's the overall picture of what this person is feeling? What you want to know is you want them to know that they can trust you. You want them to know that you've heard their struggle. You want to let that person know that God is there, and that he understands the struggle. And you want to let this person know that you will stand with them. One of the most common struggles in a crisis 
is feeling like we're all alone. And so we want to be sure that we let people know that they're not alone and that you're going to be there. The thing about that that gives me the most heartburn is it requires sacrifice. It requires me to take out of my time to go be with that person, to go talk to that person. Just to throw something out, I had, a, I had some surgery on my nose last fall, and that because I was going to be sedated, they didn't want me driving home for some reason. And uh, so I asked Seth if he could help, and he came, <clears throat> stayed at the doctor's office all morning, and I said, well, I really appreciate you doing this. And he said, there is no better thing to do. And if you watch what Seth is doing right now in his retirement, he, he really believes that. He just, he, you say, are you having fun in your retirement? And Seth's going to say, oh, yeah, man. I go to the hospital and see people. I go sit with them at the doctor's office. I'm involved in all this stuff. <clears throat> Well, I'm sorry the slides aren't better than they are. I really did work hard on those slides. <laughs> can you get? Can you make them? Okay. I don't know. It's that important. There was a. There was a one time I read this article that uh, in the military. People got really, really good at PowerPoint. They got to the point where they had animated tanks blowing each other up, and uh, they were called PowerPoint Rangers. And uh, finally, somebody with enough stroke in the Pentagon said, no more PowerPoint. So, so, you know. If you think that listening for emotional words, that letting people express themselves like that is too touchy-feely, too touchy-feely, think of a time that you had something you wanted to talk about, and you went to a friend and you said, I've, I've got this going on, and immediately they gave you the solution to the problem. Well, here's what you need to do. Problem solved. Bada-bing, bada-boom, you know, and... And how did you feel when that happened? And uh, uh, men can probably relate to this. I don't know if women relate to this, but probably many of you men may have heard this. I really don't want you solving my problem right now. I really want you just to kind of listen to me. Does anybody, am I the only one? Does anybody else relate to that? <laughs> We don't want people just to give us a solution to a problem without hearing us, without hearing how we're feeling, without hearing what's going on with us. We've been through it. And you feel like, well, this person has just dismissed me. What's going on with me is not really important to this person. If you look at it from that person's point of view, they just solved your problem for you. They, just, they, they thought they did all the good right there, solving your problem. And uh, that is why we need to take time. Then we have another uh, love element. It's called incarnate the love of Christ. We used to, uh, 
and do youth group on Sunday night back when we had a youth group <clears throat> and uh, back when there was more than one person in it. Chris Johnson was our only member of youth group there for a while. But before that, there were several people in there. <clears throat> and Marty used to say this over and over, and maybe you've heard her say it. She used to say, you've got to remember that everyone Jesus met was his enemy. Everyone that Jesus met was his enemy. If you're going to incarnate the love of Christ, you have to get ready for that. And although everyone Jesus met was his enemy, and every time uh, someone spoke spitefully to Jesus, he still went to the cross. He still went to the cross. So when you're, when you're incarnating the love of Christ, you're going to have to adopt an attitude of forgiveness, an attitude of forbearance, an attitude of enduring a difficult time. You're going to have to love someone who is difficult to love. And uh, that is what's being asked for. Art Johnson, Art's back with us now. Back when Art was with us the first time, I remember one night he gave a talk. And we've been called to love people who are hard to love. That is the call. We need to have a biblical readiness. We need to have scriptures that, uh, that we can offer people. But again, you want to be careful that you don't start hammering on people with the scripture. You know, someone who's going through marital problems, right now is not the time. I mean, you're going to come to that. You're going to come to that when you're speaking the truth in love. But right now is not the time to start hammering people with all the verses on on marriage and divorce. It may not always be the time to hammer people on, uh, say, homosexuality. You know, there are plenty of places in Scripture that, that, uh, that you could give and say, you can't live like this. But Rosaria Butterfield said in, in her book, she said the gay community, that they would have dinners and stuff together, and, and there were support groups. And she said the gay community is much more uh, loving toward each other than other parts of community are toward them. Other parts of the world are toward them. So your first conversation here probably should be to assure a person that you're with them and that you love them and that you understand. <clears throat> but that's not the end game there. The end game comes in the next seven chapters. <clears throat> okay? And then Tripp gives four reasons that we need to be uh, incarnate the love of Christ. <clears throat> Number one, it protects you. Angry people are going to try to get you to be angry with them. <clears throat> and you could easily buy into that. You could easily buy into being as angry as they are and angry for the same reasons that they're angry. And you're, you're no longer seeing it from Christ's perspective. You're seeing it from your perspective. You're solving this problem from your perspective, not from theirs. It also protects you because angry people are going to try to manipulate you. And it keeps you from being manipulated. And angry people are going to be angry with you. Here you are trying to help someone who's been angry with you. 
Well, it's the same thing that Christ went through when he was on the cross. He came to save. Everybody put him on the cross. And uh, so that's, that's one reason that we need to incarnate the love of Christ. And we need to keep everything from Christ's perspective. Incarnating the love of Christ offers a living example to the person you're trying to talk to. It, it says to them, uh, this person really is. I do really think this person has Christ. And, and this person really believes what they're saying here because they've loved me when I was tough to love. And they've stayed with me when they could have gone and done something else. When you incarnate the love of Christ, it gives an example of what the Lord can do. If you look at your own life right now, you know, you look at somebody, and I do, I know we all have this tendency, maybe, that when you see a problem here, you think, I don't know how the Lord could solve this problem. I just don't know if the Lord, what he could do here. Can anything be done here? But if you look at your own life, you can probably see plenty of times when your heart today is not the same heart you had 30 years ago, the same heart you had 40 years ago. You can see the love of Christ and how it has worked in your life and how it has changed you into a different person. And uh, uh, if, if the Lord did that in your life, he can do that in someone else's life. Well, if you are letting that come through to a person, that you're, you're this way because Christ is in you, and they, they can see that you're, you're different from everybody else because Christ is in you, and you have grown in, into a loving person and into a serious person and into a wise person, and, uh, and so it gives them evidence of what the Lord has done in your life. Maybe the Lord can do that in my life also. And it keeps Christ central. If in, we have? Do what now? Okay. Okay, good. Okay, let's start over. <laughs> Okay. So here we go. It protects you. It offers a living example. It gives evidence of what the Lord can do. And it keeps Christ central. That's the purpose of our ministry. It's never for our purposes. It's never to make us look good. It is always to glorify the Lord. It is always to help this person to seek the Lord. Um. The most important encounter. Do you all remember this from last week? Dennis put this up here last week. The most important encounter in ministry is not the person's encounter with us, but his encounter with Christ. Our job is simply to set up that encounter so that God would help people seek his forgiveness, comfort, restoration, strength, and wisdom. That is why we incarnate the love of Christ when we are dealing with people. Because it's not the encounter with us that counts. It's the encounter with Christ. And we're trying to point people toward that encounter. Tripp says that uh, um, 
a, a, a counselee is not a counselee until that person becomes a seeker. And I know that word usually has a bad connotation to it when we say a seeker. But we do, we want this person to start seeking after God. And when they start seeking after God, well then, they become a counselee to you. Until that happens, um, we're still at the first stages of this deal, trying to get people to become that seeker, right? Have you ever met people who, they always have a problem, but when you start to talk about solutions to those problems, they kind of bounce off the atmosphere. And uh, what you want what you want to get that person to, I mean, they, they like talking about their problems. They get some kind of reward talking about their problems. But when you talk about the solution to that problem, they're not so interested in that. The person who's looking for that solution, willing to talk about those solutions, is the, counsel, is the counselee. That person has become a seeker. So in that sense... The word seeker becomes a nice word for us. Okay? All right. <clears throat> so we'll have time here. We did finish early. I was afraid... <clears throat> I was afraid we were going to, uh, to not get through. So uh, let's look at... If you have the book, let's look at page 133. If you don't have the book, we'll try to take this to where you can, can follow... Because even if I had slides on this, you wouldn't be able to read them. So, on page 133, he's talking about this woman. She wakes up one morning. Her husband has left a note on the nightstand. I've left. I've, t- I've left you for another woman. I've pretty much cleaned out the checking account. I've taken all my stuff. I've got both cars over at my place. You know, It's really a sad thing. <clears throat> and uh, here's something that that came to me while I was... He doesn't say this, but I thought about it while I was reading this. When those things happen, it's not the first clue that something was coming usually. And when you're talking to this person, you're not talking about to them about this one event that just happened, that their husband left them. It's, I think, probably good to explore and go back and say, so... What's been going on in your marriage? How many years have you been putting up with this? And, uh, and uh, what all have you gone through? And uh, you have a, a young person out of your youth group comes to you and says, <clears throat> you know, I'm really trying to live like the Lord wants me to live, and I'm trying to be the person I need to be. But my dad is just a piece of work, and he is hard to get along with. And I just can't see him do anything that makes that guy happy. If you're a youth leader, that is, that is an opportunity for you to start checking into that problem. Are you just going to brush this kid off and say, well, kid, everybody has trouble with their parents? Or are you going to stop what you're doing and listen to what that, per- that young person is saying? And see whether there is something there that needs to be checked into a little more deeply. <clears throat> So here's a list of questions that Tripp came up with about this woman whose husband has left her. These are things you would ask a person. And this is where this book gets really practical. And uh, what came into your mind as you read this note? What are you struggling with most right now? 
What are you facing now that you thought you would never face? What are you feeling? What are you afraid of right now? Are you feeling angry? Or is that a real struggle? Describe how you see God right now. What do you think he is doing? Do you feel hopeless? Do you feel like God is asking you to do the impossible? What questions do you wish you could ask your husband? What questions do you wish you could ask God? When you can't sleep, what thoughts keep you awake? What part of this situation is getting to you most? What regrets do you struggle with? You see that those are questions that go into that person's heart, that give that person a little chance to talk to you. One point that that Tripp makes is that people, when they talk to you, they don't talk to you about clinical truth. They don't come to you and say, well, I've got this problem right here. Let's see what we can do. People talk to you about experiences. They don't tell you what the problem is. They talk to you about experiences. And if you're going to uh, be effective here, you've got to try to get underneath those experiences and see what's coming through from what that person is saying. Okay? Um, I see this list of questions on 133. I mean, they're, they're obviously very helpful if someone has come to you and said, my husband has just moved out or our marriage is falling apart. Very helpful questions. Um, in other situations, how do you come up with that list of questions? And I think uh, maybe it's just to, a lot's going to come to you if you just stop and take the time to think and listen to that person. Listen to that person and see what that person is saying. Don't start trying to come up with solutions. Listen to that person and think, well, I've been in a similar situation. What was I feeling? Ask them, you know, uh, what, what was going on with me when I was in that situation. There's just a lot of things there, I think. Obviously, this is, I don't know, for a lot of us, maybe brand new, stuff we've never thought about. We don't plan to become counselors, and this is certainly not an in-depth thing here in Chapter 7. It's an introduction. This section of the book is called Love, Chapter 7, 8, and 9. It is called Love. It's the love that we need to have for each other. It's the love that causes us to sacrifice for each other. It's the love that causes us to take out of our time for each other. And uh, even though we don't plan to be counselors, we're mostly going to be talking to each other in casual conversations. Be alert for those times. That when you might be able to stop what you're doing and really listen to what another person is saying. Okay? So, we have about 15 minutes left. Does anybody have a burning issue here? Or something you would like to talk about or ask about or that we could discuss? So? Um. And I think, um, I think too, 
too, Blake, is, you know, when you think about it, is the work you do in, like in this next several chapters, the work that those chapters are going to talk about, that's, that's where the love is going to really show itself. And that'll, it'll be a real love, a deep love, and uh, a love where you're really concerned for others. Going back to what Blake said uh, <clears throat> about where do we have opportunities for these conversations? And how many of these conversations have we ever really had? And uh, not many of your friends are, are willing, really, to let you into their inner sanctum. Um, if they do let you into that inner sanctum, they have to know they can trust you. And, and uh, that's why they let you in there. But don't you think most of our conversations are about sports or about music or about entertainment or something? They're, they're very seldom heavy conversations. They're safe. Yeah. Right. They are. They're safe. You don't have to let people into your life if you have one of those conversations. I sometimes wonder about me. I walk away from those conversations. The guilt I feel is I really should be talking about more important things. (laughs) It would be just as easy to talk about something more important. Tom, did you raise your hand? I think you're right on, and and I thought about this uh, in connection with this this lesson here. That what do you see most posted on the internet is uh, Jesus never called us to hate, right? And that's either either we are coming across that way that we're not extending the love. You know, could be us. Could just be that. You know, an unbeliever is going to look at us and say, well, those people, just a bunch of fuddy-duddies, and they're trying to take all the fun out of my life. I suspect it's a mixture of those two. Uh, But if, if, if we as Christians aren't showing the love and compassion that we should be showing to people who are caught up in sin, uh, then that's on us. That's definitely on us. We need to be sure that we look at that and make sure that we're we're where we should be in this area. <clears throat> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yes. And right. And where do our schedules come from? You know. And I think that would fall under that category of dying daily to my selfish agenda. Because I don't take the time for you guys. When I don't take the time for you guys, it's because I'm pursuing my own stuff. You know, it, you, you have to die daily to your to your things. Um, in the end, sometimes. Sorry. <clears throat> Uh, 
you look back on something that's really important to you, it wasn't all that important. Um, I didn't talk to the other elders about this. I hope I'm not. I hope they're okay with my saying this. Uh, we uh, we started fears back, and Seth came up with this idea, and he said, "Let's let's split the directory into force, and every every uh, couple of weeks we'll take a fourth of that list, so that once a quarter we pray for everybody who's in the church." And so we've had that list for a long time. And there were times we would get together and say, well, what's going on with this person? And we'd all sit around and say, I don't know. And that's why we've started calling you, is because we want to know what's going on with you. And so when we call and we ask you what we can pray for and how we can pray for you, we really want to hear what's going on with you. We really want to know, because how can we pastor you if we don't know what's going on with you. Um, In casual conversations with each other, we can listen and really try to learn what's going on with people. How are they they doing? And so the the elders are trying that. So if you would help, it's when we call you, tell us what's going on with you. Uh, Keep us informed. Keep Keep us knowing. And just want to encourage everybody to have those conversations with each other. So that when you ask, you're really asking, how are you doing? Yes. That's a good point, Art. I'm glad you said that. Um, that's the heavy lifting of eldership. To be an elder and to go and have a business meeting once a month. Uh, you know, that's the easy part. It's when you get involved, we're, we're called to be pastors. We're called to shepherd. And uh, that's the relationship we want to have with you. And that's the relationship we want you to have with us. And, uh, and just to encourage you to have those relationships with each other as well. So, yes, Dennis? Right. That's a good point. That's a good point. To just ask these questions of yourself, and uh, and see what answers you give. So that's your homework. <laughs> and also, uh, if you would, uh, just start thinking about these things because uh, this book is to help us have better relationships with each other, more meaningful relationships with each other, and uh, and. Uh, just as a result, we are involved in redemptive relationships, uh, <clears throat> working in God's sanctifying plan. So that's it. We're out of time. <clears throat>